0: You are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the OG bad boys of Bigfoot, the Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive of Squatchology, the Chip and Dale of Bigfoot, and I'm not talking about the cartoon. Please welcome your hosts, the Bigfoot celebrity couple Biff Klobo, better known as Cliff Berrickman and James Bobo Faye. Good afternoon, Bobo. How are you doing today? Good. How's it going Cliff? It's going great, it's going great. Um, I'm upstairs at the museum as usual. Beautiful day in Oregon, like these are the days that we tolerate the winter time, holy smokes. It's just sunny and just 65, 70 degrees and climbing. Mountain hood is beaming happily on the horizon. It's just one of these days of the Pacific Northwest that makes you happy to be alive and living here.
1: Holy smokes, what's it like down there? We've had a beautiful weather the last few days, last week, but um, today it's a gray wall. A gray wall. Eh, Well, it is the coast
0: in Northern California. Kind of have to ask for that, right? And uh, anything been going on this past week? I know some things have, like your birthday.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't really do much for that. Actually, just went to dinner and that was about it. Same usual day. Um, What's been going on? Looks like I'm going out to Ohio. Oh, you're going to be at the Ohio
0: conference. I'll be there as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's always a good time. Some good folks out there. I think uh, um, Dan Perez will be out there talking about the PG film a little bit. Matt Pruitt will be there, our our, uh, lovely and talented editor. He's going to be presenting some stuff that I think will go over really well or really bad. I'm not sure which, but I'm 100% behind it. And of course, one of our favorite investigators, Tom Shea, is going to be out there too. So it's going to be a a lot of fun with really good investigators and people out there.
1: Yeah. Pruitt will blow people's minds. i no offense, Cliff, but I think he would be the top speaker on the Bigfoot circuit right now. Oh
0: yeah, well, there, there's a lot of people out there that do a better job than me. That's for sure. I mean, I just talk about whatever I'm into, but then I'm in I'm in a weird position because I'm looking at what I'm into and thinking, oh, that's kind of well, that's all right. But everybody else who's not in my circles might think that's really cool. But what Matt is more, I guess, uh, perhaps scholarly. I'm a little bit more folksy and, and connectable, I think. Than, but we all have our different styles, right? Yep. So if you're going to Ohio are you going to be uh, are you going to be speaking about anything or are you just going to be showing up and shaking babies? Shaking babies and kissing hands. Nice, very good. Good enough, man. Good enough. Well, uh, t- we have a guest today um, that uh, we should be talking to instead of talking to one another, I suppose. Um, this is a, uh, a gentleman who uh, is uh, he's a BFRO investigator um, he, up in British Columbia. He's very well networked. He's out in the field quite often. And I guess he's getting together a project that he wants other people to know about. Um, I don't know too much about it, so we're going to have to explore this together. But uh, Bobo, I'm not... Uh, here, here he is, I guess. So Bobo, welcome. help me welcome um, Jason Sackerson. Hey, Jason Hey, gents. How are you doing today? Doing okay. Good to hear. Very good. So, so Jason, um, you before we get into the project that you're working on, um, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners a little bit and just tell them a little bit about uh, what got you into this crazy mess about Bigfoot and you know what you're doing with your life as far as Bigfoot goes. And uh, just acquaint our listeners with you, please. Okay. Um, well, um, like many of us uh, in the Gen X um, era of births um
2: it, it started for me um not with john green uh, as it did with so many folks here in canada uh but it was leonard nimoy through his uh, his show uh, in search of
0: i i have the box set it turns out yeah oh yeah um
2: so that's what really got it started for me at, at a young age um but growing up back east um you know the bigfoot culture wasn't as as alive as it is on the west coast obviously and back east, where is back east? Where did you grow up? So back east would be, I grew up in Montreal and Toronto. Yeah. So, you know, north of Buffalo. In any case, uh, that's how it got started for me um, at a young age. And then, you know, I moved out here in, in the mid-90s. Um, I worked in forestry for a few years when I first got out here as a tree pruner, spacer. I did some heli-log. And uh, the loggers pretty much kept it stum. Nobody was talking about Bigfoot, uh, you know, for obvious reasons that, you know, we're aware of is the the stigma behind it. Right. You know, if you've seen one, you're obviously a loon. I got involved um, through BFRO by attending an expedition in 06 uh, in NorCal in November, <laughs> which seemed a little silly at the time. But what was I there? Uh, no, you weren't there. Uh, Bart, Bart Coutinho was there. Uh, yams was there. Uh, the only other person I remember off the top of my head. Oh, Brandon Keel, I believe was
0: running it. And, uh, Brian Zanzi. Brian, I haven't heard his name in a long time. Oh yeah. He was fantastic. Well, all those guys that you mentioned are just top notch. They're wonderful people. Oh, absolutely. hundred percent.
2: So, um, anyway, we got hit with a pineapple express while we were there. So if anybody isn't aware of the Pineapple Express, it's uh, raindrops the size of golf balls coming down.
1: Oh, I remember that's why I didn't go, because I was looking at the weather forecast going, these guys are idiots.
0: <laughs> yeah, but lovely
1: people nonetheless.
2: <laughs> um, so at the end of the expedition, Matt came up to me and says, hey, man, listen, I know you drove all the way down from Canada. Listen, if, if you want to attend another expedition, you let me know. I'll relay it to um, the organizer of whoever's running the expedition that you can you can ride for free. So I did, uh, my second expedition was 07 on the island, where actually, that's where I met you, Bobo, was on the island. Dr. Binnenogel was there for that one. I was there for that one. And, and you were there as well. That's right, Cliff. Um, and that was, that was halfway decent. We got a good scream that one night down on the Chimaneus River. But beyond that, there wasn't much else apart from some vocalizations. I don't recall anybody finding any prints or anything to that effect. But um, I guess I'd made a, a good impression on Matt because um, he rolled up and asked the organizer if I was an investigator yet. And The investigator or the organizer said no. And he said, why not? And then sped off.
0: <laughs> Moneymaker. Yeah, but probably like spraying rocks behind the car and the whole nine. Man, yeah. Why is it? he? <laughs> why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: So, yeah, and then uh, I just it went deeper and deeper for me there. Um, I was really fortunate uh, living here in southwestern British Columbia that I had access to people, you know, esteemed investigators like like John Green and uh, Thomas Steenberg and Bill Miller. Um, but the thing that really stood out for me early was uh, some words of wisdom that I got from John Green. And so I asked him uh, one day, I said, you know, if you could offer me one piece of advice, what would that be? And he says, don't ambulance chase. He said, I spent decades racing up and down the coast, getting calls in Oregon, NorCal, Washington State. He'd race down there in his car. He'd get there. And half the time he got there, most of the, you know, the prints, if they were found on a logging road, had been bladed over. Um, it's great that he gets down there, he can investigate, but he can't follow up on an investigation. He can't continue to spend a few more days there to see if, you know, if, if the Sasquatches are still within that region. Um, so what he told me was find a spot as close to home as possible and start to work that if it supports a healthy ungulate population, a healthy bear population, and if it happens to have historical reports. You know, it's a no-brainer. Start there. You, you'll, you'll save so much time and, and, and money looking close to home, and you'll probably get better results than I did, he said. So, um, so with that, um, I started working an area uh, right next to Pitt Lake, um, which is bordered by a provincial park, and wedged in between there is a, a research forest that's run by UBC, and we did really well in there. It, uh, it took us about two years before we were able to delineate an area that they were running through regularly. Um, and that's when I got involved with Charles Lamica. Um, he came up to visit up in, in 2010 to run a tracking clinic for us. And I asked Charles, I said, you know, could you come a day early? I'd love to show you some old prints that I'd found in, in, the, in the research forest. We got there that day, and lo and behold, there were fresh prints around the old prints that I had found. Yeah, and then we we toured around there for about another five hours that day. Uh, We found a trackway going down a really steep hillside. And it's, it's such a dead giveaway that you know it's not a person when you've got a really steep slope. And the prints are in line with the direction of the slope. And, you know, they happen to be 16 inches in length. Um, and you know, a six foot step, you know, you try and find a person who can run down a steep hill with their feet in the direction of the slope and leaving large impressions in the ground. You know, we'd all go, you know, we'd go flying down the hill. There's no way we could maintain that sort of step length and, and, and that sort of stride. So, uh, that's where it got started for me. Um, uh, well, there's a gentleman up here, Darcy Stoffergen, uh, who was running expeditions in BC Up until 2015, he he did one in 2015. They said I I need to take a break, so I I picked up the torch from there and started working um, some different areas. Um, And we've done really, really well um, in these three watersheds that we've been working since 2016. And Charles Lamica and I have been discussing this since about 2018. Um, We've done so well in these areas. You know, we'd sit around the campfire and Charles would say we really need to do a long-term in here. Because we've done, I've run six expeditions um, in this region, resulted in four visuals. And these are expeditions that run from four to six days. We're, we're doing pretty good. <laughs> you know, it's, it, this, is, this, is, this is difficult work, as you well know, um, to even find prints or get vocalizations, let alone get visuals.
0: Yeah. But, you know, if they're in the area, they're in the area is what it comes down to. And I don't, I don't know what your research has led you to, but I, I'm coming to the point now where I don't think um, they move very far, or at least, you know, maybe, the, maybe just the females stay put because that's more of a primate sort of a, a model and the males range widely. But like, whatever it is, if, if they're in an area, they're going to be in that area more or less most of the time, I think. And when I say an area, it could be a big area, maybe five by seven miles or maybe even bigger, 10 by 10 miles. But there is still that area they're going to be haunting. So
2: Mm -hmm. It's just what you have to look at is the the seasonality within that region. Yeah, food resources
0: is what it comes down to.
2: Right. So, you know, you've got your valley bottoms are going to ripen earliest, right? You know, as far as um, your your plant matter that they be uh, feasting on or or berry crops. Um, And then, of course, as you get, deeper into the season now you start getting into late august early september now those same berry crops or plant crops are going to be at elevation right and then of course the the other factor that we have here being on the coast of course are the salmon returns so they could be running up you know moving up to elevation later summer and then you know early fall and then early fall they start dropping back down into the valley bottoms waiting for the salmon to return
0: have you found that there's a correlation of what your model is for that, your hypothesis, shall we say? Um, does that align well with the sighting reports? It does. Uh, there's that, and the geography
2: uh, plays a large role in it for us as well, working around watersheds um, and some rather steep country. So what we're finding is we're finding some good pinch points where there are areas that they have to pass through to go from one region to another. So um, I I really like the geography that allows you know it it forces them you know to to choose certain roads because for them you know their whole life is about energy conservation right it's a it's a path of least resistance that's that's been the primary drive behind the area that we're working is is this, the geography um, that forces them into certain regions um, like I said just based on their need for energy conservation, you know, throughout their lives. Um, And as well as, like I said, um, the varying crops that we've got for them uh, to feed
0: upon. Now you mentioned a little while ago that you have actually observed Sasquatches. Is that correct?
2: I've had one sighting and it's in the area that we'll be working on this expedition. Uh, Sadly, it wasn't daylight. All I got was eye shine. Um, I'd been, I just finished up an expedition, um, it was about the middle of uh, September. I like to stay after the expeditions for a few days, but on this particular occasion, I wasn't able to, to return home, go to work for a few days, and then come back again. And um, So anyway, I was down there by myself, and earlier during the day, I'd strung up some chem lights along the river um, as an attractant because was, there was nobody down. There was nobody for miles in this area. So I'd uh, strung those up, and then i I'd run a sliding camper, on my pickup truck. And then what I do is I've got uh, the large thermal, you know, the R2 D2s that uh, you used on finding Bigfoot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. The FLIR is basically on top. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's right. The large uh, thermal imager that
2: pans 360 and it's tilts mounted on the roof of a vehicle. That's right. Yeah. So I'd set that on, on the roof of my camper and then so ran all the wires through the little vents and then did a full systems check. I'd completed that. And I thought, okay. It's time to get out and, and break the chem lights. So I stepped out of my camper and it's just after eight o'clock at night, the end of September. So it's blackout now. It's dark. I stepped out of my camper, hung a right, sort of walking down along the river, turned on my white light for my headlamp. I turned my head and I caught these massive, absolutely massive green eyes. And it was how far apart they were as well that really stood out, not to mention being way up in the air. I knew, I knew where this thing was standing. He was standing in the middle of a roadway. So um, I'm pretty sure this monkey was just as surprised as I was because we just stood there. We both just froze and stared at each other. And this went on for somewhere between 15 and 30 seconds. Now it's within that time frame that I realize it's going to be important for me to know where I'm standing the next morning. So briefly I looked down, saw a rock to my left, used my left leg to draw it over, put it up against my right foot, now, this is where I think I goofed. I stomped on the ground, right on top of the rock, so I would embed it in the ground so I knew where I would, I'd be standing. Now, again, the foot stomp, this is something that we believe that they will do to either gain attention or sometimes drive people away. Or maybe it was just the fact that I took my eyes off them. Either way, as soon as I stomped my foot on the ground to pound the rock in, I looked up, no more eyes. So now my head is just on a swivel. And of course, I can't hear anything because I'm right next to a river. Um, So I stood there for, oh, maybe five, seven minutes, just standing there, just looking left, right, left, right, trying to pick up that eye shine again. Got nothing. I go back into the camper. I turn the R2 to look in the direction where this beast was standing. Sadly, there was a line of alders and cedars that were preventing me from picking up right where it was standing. Came back out, got back to the same spot where I was standing when I first saw it. And again, I'm looking, you know, panning back and forth, back and forth. I go back to where it was originally standing, and now I'm picking up crescent moon shape green reflection. Same distance apart, but they're about two feet off the ground. So I don't think he went anywhere. The minute I turned, moved my head away with the light, I think he just hit the deck and was probably just squatting. And they had his head tilted, so I would only see a portion of the eyes. And again, that was about 15, 30 seconds of that, and then he melted into the night, and that was it for me.
0: No sign left over, you know, uh, scuff marks? No, the the only thing I was able to
2: pick up on the road is I could tell where he'd walked um, because stones had been turned, so I could see the moist side of the stone. Uh, that was all I was able to pick up on the road.
0: Now, the, the, did you see this thing in the in your area of focus for your project that we're going to talk about next? Yes, it was. That's correct. Yeah. So now, yeah. Speaking of the project, um, you've got something going. You're taking John Green's advice and you're trying to uh, get together a pretty ambitious project by the sound of it. Um, and you're doing a little bit of crowdsourcing for it to try to get a little bit of help from the public and people who want to participate, no matter where they are in the world. But um, w- w- tell us about what you're planning and what you're hoping to accomplish by doing so, please. Okay. Well, um, the, we've named the project
2: Living with Sasquatch, as um, myself, Charles Lamica, and one other gentleman, Rory Booth, um, will be down there for 60 days. And over the course of the 60 days, we have an additional, at this point, 37 other investigators who will be coming in in shifts, whether they've got five days off, 10 days off. I mean, I've got a couple ladies coming in from the prairies. They're, they're coming in for a month. Uh, but everybody's coming in doing shifts, um, to join in this. Uh, It's essentially what we're looking to do is a giant data collection. Um, and utilizing some of the most, what I view as some of the most important tools, um, in, in achieving, you know, data collection, um, so I'm looking at picking up long duration recorders, uh, the types that are used by biologists and ornithologists when they're trying to delineate a, a population of, say, birds or or ungulates or whatever it is that they're hunting for an area. Um, I, I put a lot of emphasis on on audio recordings because they work full time. They're there listening. They're there working the whole time, even though you're away. Um, and that's, that's what really helped us in our work in, in that UBC research forest, um, was picking up stuff on these recorders when, once we were away from them. So between that, um, some additional thermal imaging equipment, a couple parabolic mics where we'll be setting people up to act essentially as like a radar station. Um, so let's say we've got a, a group of, say, a dozen people that are working a, a particular valley. I'd like to get somebody say in the middle of the valley, get them at elevation, and they just sit up there with the parabolic, and like I said, they're 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 looking for inbound missiles, if you will, right? Um, any sounds that they can pick up that might give away that there might be uh, a primate uh, cruising around the group or replying to the group, right? If you know if they're trying knocks or any canned calls or any vocalizations that sort of thing, um, and we've got a we've got to really really. Talented bunch of people, and we've we've got uh, we've got plant ecologists. Um, you know, I've got people from you know federal government um, not not working not coming on behalf of the federal government, but you know uh, federal government scientists, biologists, uh, a number of people that are ex law enforcement, um, ex military, uh, professional hunting guides. Um, so yeah, we've we've got a really really well balanced crew and 95% of the people who will be attending the expedition have been on at least two or more expeditions in that area with me. Um, We've will also got a little bit of um, little street cred from the science world, if you will. Um, There's a gentleman, uh, Dr. Paul Kingsbury, who's an associate dean of the Geography Department at Simon Fraser University. I've been working with him on a project, uh, one of his projects, for about the last three years. And, um, he's been, he's been so, so encouraging, um, when the folks in the ivory towers are sometimes not very cooperative in, in this venture. Um, you know, as you guys well know, the history of Dr. Grover Krantz and Dr. Binder Nagel. um, you know, even Dr. Meldrum, they have a lot of problems, you know, with their cohorts, um, buying into this, you know, as a, as a possibility, Paul came out on his second expedition with me in 2018, and um, I'll never forget his words at the end of the expedition. He came up to me, shook my hand, and he says, "Jason, you're onto something here." He's, yeah, I said, "I know, Paul." Now
1: go home and, t- and tell all your cohorts It's Simon Fraser. He's not the first academic I've heard out of that university that's interested in Bigfoot. I mean, that, I've heard other people mention um, professors from that college, you know, in relation to Sasquatch stuff. Yeah, well, they're
2: certainly a little more open-minded than they were at UBC. Um, almost got onto that UBC property years ago to do a wildlife inventory um, to help them with that. Uh, but again, it was it was cost prohibitive. Um, we were going to have to purchase all 15 of the, the game trail cameras to do it. Um, and then the insurance was going to be a bit of a pickle um one of the gentlemen who's involved on in our group um knows a number of the faculty in the, in the forestry department so he went in and told them exactly you know what we'll be doing on their property when we're not looking for bears and cougars for them that sort of thing and uh they said well we want to know exactly what you do and dave says well we we like to cruise around at night you know we, we'll just use little red headlamps we don't use bright white lights we travel game trails And they said, well, what else do you do? Well, sometimes we broadcast, um, you know, wounded animal calls to draw in apex predators. And they said, that's great. Those are the exact words that you need to tell the insurer when you go to get insurance. And so you can imagine how that went. You know, Dave went to see these insurers. And so you go out in the woods in the middle of the night wearing just a little red headlamp and you try to draw in apex predators. Yeah. Can we get insurance? Yeah. Uh, sure. Short word. No. So that was also problematic. So. Um, so here we are um, trying to do it on our own. A little citizen science, if you will.
0: Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're crowdfunding for just supplies and that sort of thing or gear or, um, uh, well, about a third of it is just to
2: cover salaries. Cause I've got to get Charles to pull away from his business for two months. All right. So he's got bills to pay and then income to replace. Um, so I'll be paying Charles, uh, Rory Booth, uh, and myself, salary to be there and run the expedition for the entire 60 days. It'll be closer to about 70 days for me. Everyone else is volunteering. So then the rest of the money is going strictly just to gear. Um, we're looking at um, some FLIR breach, um, handheld thermal imagers. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, um, the audio gear, we're looking at long duration recorders, um, some stuff made by wildlife acoustics and, um, you know, other items, the parabolics from Wildtronics, um, you know, and then it's going to be it's probably going to be about six hundred dollars in batteries, you know, or
0: more. We've often joked on finding Bigfoot or whatever that if, if we ever got sponsored by somebody, which, you know, we never did, really. Um, but as individuals, we were all praying it would be a, a battery manufacturer.
2: Yeah, yeah, because it's, it's the bane of our existence out there, are batteries. So in any case, well, I, actually, I had a sponsor um to cover all this until october of last year um sadly i had to unceremoniously kick them to the curb um so the long and short of that deal was it was december of 2019 it was christmas eve i decided to take a run out to the skagit valley which is an area south of hope bc um i been about a foot and a half of fresh snow there and i thought well good day to take, take a run out there it should be quiet it's christmas eve um good time to go look for some prints well i came across a large gut pile and bone pile so some hunter had processed two mule deer and a moose and gone and dumped all the bones and the gut bag in this big pile on this logging road and um and this thing it couldn't have been more than hours old uh, the only thing that had found this, this pile of bones um, was a flock of ravens uh, when I discovered it. So uh, when I got home, I um, called all my cohorts here in B.C. and said, you know, hey, what do you guys doing tomorrow? You want to go check out this gut pile? And um, we'll imagine my surprise when nobody wanted to go check out a gut pile on Christmas Day. So Christmas is about... I know, right? I mean it's a present just sitting there. I mean, who knows what's gonna come in and visit this gut pile?
0: Yeah, nothing ushers in the Yule tide like a gut pile. <laughs> so uh, the earliest I could
2: get people organized was was the 29th of December. I thought, okay, well it's 96 hours. We'll at least have some idea on, on who's been to visit it. So uh, we got out there, spent some time out there. Um, the bulk of my friends went home. All we were able to pick up that was in the area was a cougar at a distance. He didn't even get to the gut pile. Uh, a bobcat had visited, obviously, the ravens and looked like some weasels. So probably a couple minks had been there. Um, and, well, and there were some coyote prints. So in any case, uh, myself and uh, a friend of mine, John, decided we would spend a little more time working the area, going a little further afield, trying to find some prints to no avail. We got back to our trucks and we're sitting there and we're thinking, well, let's just, we'll go have a fire somewhere. And John says, okay, well, you know, let's go to Candling Creek. And I said, okay, well, you know, let me just finish my coffee. Then we'll go. So we sat there for about another five minutes. My friend, John looks way down the logging road. and He says, Hey, here come, there's two people coming up the road. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, are they on skis? goes no they're walking i'm like oh that's not good i mean we're 40k deep on a logging road um the dead of winter and we're about 40 minutes away from complete darkness so we thought well we'll just sit here and, and see what their story is so these two gentlemen roll up they had already walked 10 kilometers in a foot and a half of snow one of them was wearing dress shoes so in any case it turns out he was it was the ceo of prime asia tv and one of his videographers, and they decided to go film the beautiful canadian window you know uh, winter wonderland um in a truck without snow tires.
1: I saw that whole video they made oh did, did you see that one? Yeah, I actually did watch that Oh how, how did you find that I don't know. I was going down rabbit holes insomnia night, and I, the fact that you guys were there was an absolute miracle it was yeah the, it was. It didn't look good.
2: Uh, it was going to be really serious hypothermia at best. Uh, to be honest, I, I don't think they would have made it out there alive. Um, when they found us, it was 15 minutes from, from darkness. Um, and they still had another 30 K to go. Uh, the videographer was dressed a little bit better, but he was soaking wet from trying to dig the truck out. So he would have been in real trouble pretty, pretty quickly. So in any case, um, you know, of course, you know, oh, we're forever indebted to you, blah, blah, blah. You know, what can we do? Well, you know, I, I couldn't, you know, I didn't think of this off the top of my head. And I said, well, you know, we'll, we'll deal with that later. And said, they said, would you be interested in helping us do some safety videos so that other Indo-Canadians don't do the same stupid thing that we did? And I said, sure, yeah. So I, I helped them out on, on a couple of videos, but they didn't really seem to be interested in the safety stuff. So too much. It was more, let's go fly the drone and let's go shoot the black powder rifle. And, you know, let's just run around the woods, pick berries. So I approached them. I said, would you guys be interested in say filming the 60 day expedition? Because Charles and I had been talking about doing something like this. And they said, sure. So uh, that was uh, late winter of, of 2020, uh, about February. And but it just, it, it turned out just to be platitudes, sadly. Um, and just, they weren't very well organized. Um, lovely, lovely gentlemen, but yeah, just not very well organized. And when I think about it now, my God, they, they might've died out there with us (laughs) if we had tried this, if I'd left them alone. Um, so yeah, it just, it wasn't looking good. And I, I said to Charles, I said, this, this isn't going to work. So I got to let him go. And I said, so, well, now what do I do? I, I told everybody we're, we're doing this. And Charles says, well, let's just, we'll do a GoFundMe. You know, everybody does these GoFundMes. Maybe we can get it off the ground and, and make it happen. Um, so here we are. I mean, not without hitting a few production companies along the way. Um, I tried to send one off to a submission release um, to Tyson Media. I don't know if you guys get Rust Valley Restorers down south that show a reality series where he, he covers these guys restoring old cars Yeah, I,
0: again if it's on tv or facebook or youtube i absolutely do not know anything about it
2: but there was a, there's been a couple of other production companies um that have tried to get stuff off the ground with me in the past uh, a couple of years ago uh, a company called cineflix wanted to send me out to the nahani they were going to send me up to the Mah- nahani for a month where's that that's, um, it's in the Northwest Territories, right in the Southwest corner, very close to the Yukon. Um, and what's really fascinating about the Nahani is a vast part of this national park was not hit by the last glaciation that hit North America. So there's lots of really unique, uh, plant and wildlife that you'll find there that you'll find nowhere else in North America, as well as, um, other really interesting legends. Uh, have you heard of Wahila, a very large wolf that they call the giant wolf? Now the wolves up there already are very tall. Um, there's a subspecies up there called the Mackenzie wolf. They're very tall as a result of the, the snow depth that they, that they deal with up there.
0: But this is even bigger, like some sort of dire wolf sort of thing, or
2: yeah, yeah, that same sort of idea. Um, and as well as there's a, an area called Headless Valley within the Nahani. Where over the last, you know, 150 years, a number of prospectors have been found with their heads missing. So, of course, um, you know, it went straight to Sasquatch from there.
0: Yeah, it, it's a nice, Sasquatches are a nice scapegoat for all sorts of things that go wrong.
1: I, I looked into those cases pretty deep because I was going to go up there uh, last year. Uh, I got in touch with the guy, Mike, that had a TV show, Buffalo Air, up there, where they fly the outfitters and trappers and miners out to all these places. So he, he knew where the best big, he'd, he'd get these emergency phone calls on the satellite phone saying, come get me, come get me, you know, like from uh, fishermen or hunters. Every once in a while, monitor, you know, a local guy, but he'd get these panic calls and he said, you know, he saw a pattern where they were. And I looked into that whole headless fly thing. It seems like that was a lot of, yeah, definitely blaming the Bigfoot, but uh, uh, maybe a couple of them were, but I think the rest were just human. Yeah, there's, there was been
2: some interesting stories out of there. Uh, there was some prospectors that were in there. I believe it would have been the early sixties or late fifties. And one of them apparently came across what he referred to as just a little person. Like he couldn't have been more, much more than five and a half feet tall and he was wearing animal skins. So that kind of rules out the Sasquatch. So, you know, who knows? Um, you know, there's uh, there's so many acres of untouched land in, in, in this country, let alone, you know, you look at other regions, like you look at Siberia, my Lord, what does that place hold?
0: So with your expedition, are you planning on um, having a videographer in tow since you lost the last guy or the last production company? I mean, you don't need a production company. You just need a couple of cameras. Or are you planning on documenting it for uh, other people to watch after the fact? Oh, yeah. No, I'll be uh, – I'm. Uh, yeah,
2: that's the other thing. It's like, well, Charles, I guess I'm a filmmaker now. <laughs> so uh, now I've got a videographer um, who has agreed to work uh, four to five weeks um again that's all relative to whether i can drum up the cash to to be able to pay him um now i do have a couple of people that are involved in this project who who do have some filming experience um one of them in particular spent 15 years uh doing uh professional uh video production and um and and stills for things so for people we'd like weddings and that sort of thing so it's uh again it's going to be uh citizen science and citizen film production uh, at this point in time. We'll see.
0: Now, you mentioned if you can get the, the, the funds drummed up. What if you can't? Um, I, I don't know how much you're asking for. And, and of course, we'll plug the website so people can go, you know, give money as they see fit after the fact. Um, but if you, say, come up with half or even 25%, is this still going to happen? Oh, it's still happening. Because, well, it, it's going to happen for sure. I mean, I am going to be out there for,
2: for you know, 60, 70 days. That's, that's a given. Um, it, it you know, <laughs> if I got to borrow kids, my house to, to pay my bills while I'm here, you know, so be it. That's, that's what I'm going to have to do because, you know, all these people have, I've, have, i committed to these people that, that we're going to do this. Um, now, like I said, the bulk of them, the, they're, they're volunteering their time. So it's sort of, it's no skin off their back. I mean, these are all people have regular jobs. I've, I've been self-employed for over 20 years. Um, Charles is in the same boat, and my friend Rory's in the same boat. He's also self-employed. So we're the only ones who can pull off, you know, say taking 60 days off out of the summer. Um, you know anybody else, you know they go to their boss and, see, yeah, I'd like to take August and September off and they're like, yeah, well, whatever. What's it like to want? Um, so we're the only ones who are really going to be drawing anything from the, the from the funds. And then like I said, the rest of it's all going just straight to gear. So yeah, like I said, uh, come heck or high water, um, that this this thing, I'm making it I'm making it happen. It's a uh, it's a discovery that I,
0: I thought would have been would have been taken care of by now. But uh, you're not intending to quote unquote discover the animal because that that involves bullets and guns and such, right? Uh you, you're right. No, it does. It, well, it does and it doesn't. But it, if we
2: could at least provide them with enough you know other evidence if we if we can cast prints if we can if we can find hair samples if we can provide them with you know numerous recordings that okay well here run this against your spectral analysis what is it well it's not a mule deer it's not a blacktail it's not a bear it's not a human it's not a coyote well what is it well we don't know it's none of these things so shouldn't that pique your curiosity
0: yeah, okay. I'm going to play the devil's advocate though, but don't we have those already? We do, but um, but there, you
2: know, there's one little recording here, one little recording there. To my knowledge, nobody's gone out for 60 days straight just trying to gather as much evidence as they possibly can in 60 days. Uh, like I know there's the the wood ape conservancy.
0: There's some folks down where are they in Oklahoma. They do a twenty four seven occupancy of area X from about May until September October, if I remember right.
2: Okay. And but uh, like, how many people are they running though? Like, how much ground are they able to cover?
0: I think the, the valley. I guess we'd have to talk to Prude about that. He's you know he's part of that group and stuff. Um, but yeah, maybe you want to speak to him about it since uh, this this is a territory that other people are doing and um, in a small you know other parts of the country. Probably maybe there's something that um, you can pick up from them as well. I don't know. I don't know um but yeah um i don't know again i can't answer that but uh, if matt were on the call he'd be happy to i'm driving ahead with this
2: because you know based on running four and six day expeditions and drumming up a visual on almost every one we're out there for 60 days like I, something's got to give i would imagine
0: yeah, um, I think in the monograph, the NAWAC monograph, which you probably read by now, I guess. Um, that, uh, I think that their situation, and again, don't I, I may have the numbers wrong, so you should verify what I'm saying. But I think it was uh, 70 days. Um, I think they call it man days, although you know. But there's also obviously women involved too. But um, 70 man days um, yields about one sighting. So, if you were at a place for one person for 70 days, then that, that's the average of what it takes. But if you had two people there, it'd be one sighting every 35 days, you know, that kind of thing. And you have uh, whatever, you know, seven people there, it'd be a sighting every 10 days, maybe, or something like that. And you, should, you should check me because it's been a couple of years since I've read the monograph thoroughly. Um, I think that information's in there. Maybe that would yield, it'd be certainly interesting um, to see what your results would be compared to theirs oh 100 it would be yes absolutely
2: yeah so uh that's sort of the gist of it like i said i i you know i charles and i talked about it we we decided to you know look into it a little deeper <laughs> and i found these two gentlemen who said they would film it and i'm like wow here we go here's our chance let's go
1: do you guys have any like, hair chops set up or anything like anything special
2: like um The DNA will be a goal. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'm hoping now, hoping COVID doesn't cause too much trouble at the border. Uh, Shelly Covington expressed some interest in in joining us on this venture. Um, I just hope the whole gun thing doesn't turn her off because she can't actually cross the border. You know, I told her, it's like, you know, if you, you come up here, we'll set you up with somebody who has a license and, you know, that sort of thing.
0: Well, I hope so. Shelly's such an asset, you know, With uh, she's a, a trained naturalist and a tracker. Yeah, she's really into the DNA and forensics and stuff. She would be a huge asset to any expedition. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, well, Charles, because had, had, uh, I wasn't aware
2: who Shelly was until Charles um, told me about her. And he says, oh, well, you, should, you should definitely give, give, give Shelly a call. You know, I'll have a short chat with her. And, and uh, so I decided, you know... The, took charles up on it and yeah short chat turned into three and a half
0: hours stay tuned for more bigfoot and beyond with cliff and bobo we'll be right back after these messages Well, you know, shoot high. And if you get close to it, then that's great. And if you, I mean, if you make it, that's wonderful. But even if you get, again, I don't know how much you're asking for or anything like that. I uh, don't even know if you guys have a number set or anything.
2: Well, we do. Well, we're, well we're, shooting, we're shooting for 90K Canadian. So I guess that's about 65
0: in American dollars. Oh, okay. I have no idea what the exchange rate is. But even at a fraction of that, you're still going. I'm still going.
2: Oh yeah, there's no stopping that. It's just, it's going to be, you know, I, I might have to scale back on the crew, you know, maybe only Charles, maybe I can only afford Charles, you know, maybe, um, or maybe, you know, we can negotiate. Maybe I can see what people will come in and, 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 you know, what, what their price will be for, for 60 days in. Um, yeah, that's, that's the tough part is because, you know, people, they got bills to pay. Right. So I've got to respect that. I can't, I can't ask people to come and volunteer, you know, 60 days out of a year.
0: No, but this also sounds like something that people would want to participate in, you know, from all over, really, like, because uh, you need, don't you need people there? I don't need the people. Um, like I said, I've got close to 40
2: people already. And, uh, you know, none of them are going to be coming for, for long periods of time, you know, two
1: weeks, three weeks. Because documenting doesn't mean have someone out of a setting. I mean, someone recording something. We really need, you don't need that many people. You just need enough people to man the equipment. I mean, having people see something or hear something without recording, it doesn't mean anything on these things anymore. You know, it's like, we know they're there. It's like you need the, you need the equipment to record and just, just enough people to run that equipment. Yeah, that's right. And, 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 and
2: additional bodies beyond that, even if like, if okay, if all the gears dispersed, but I've still got, you know, 10 people here without gear, it's like, well, here, just take this audio recorder, take whatever you have, whatever you can. Um, but, you know, what I'm trying to do is I'm I'm setting up sort of three camps and each camp will be responsible for a set geographical area. So as people come in, so let's say people get assigned to camp one. So everybody who's there the first couple of weeks in camp one, everybody has to keep notes, you know, religiously what you did that day, where you've been um, and what the results were from that day. And then, so when the next shift comes in, when people come in to join camp one, here's all the notes, here are the areas that we've worked, um, and these are the net results from working this region.
0: But of course, with more people there, there's more eyes around as well, and looking for not only animals in the sign, but also for, for looking for footprints in the ground too, because footprints certainly must be a big component of this.
2: Absolutely, they are, yeah.
0: Because Sasquatch footprint tracks, just like any other mammal track, is really the only way to keep track of where these things are going without observing the creatures themselves well that that or or
2: audio recorders right
0: if it, as long as their voices are distinct enough that you might be able to tell the individuals apart but th- that's that's an un, that's an unknown thing at this point i would think
2: yeah, it is yeah
0: yeah and unless you, of course you may, maybe you have a library of sounds from this one location and, and you've already kind of plumbed those depths a little bit by or you know you, you're starting to I- identify individuals like b mills um, is doing out in ohio
2: mhm that's right yeah Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, yes, so that's it in a in a nutshell, if you will. It's a heck it's a heck
0: of a venture. Let me tell you. Oh, it's a huge venture. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the coordinating the people, making sure nobody gets lost in these logging roads on the way in or the way out, food situations, gear, batteries, um, f- file management alone is going to be a huge pain. Um, like nightly recordings of 7, 12, 15, uh, 24-7 recordings, and just going through those files is going to be a monumental task. Um, you're going to need all these people out there and divvying up and uh, parsing the information here and there. Here's some data. You have, you're, you, have to, you have to put on some earphones and listen to this, make sure we're not missing anything. Oh, it's just a huge undertaking. I mean, um, you make it sound so easy. Well, the, you know, the easy, the easy part was
2: getting people to do it that was the easy part
0: Well you haven't got him to do it yet all you've got is our words man so we'll, we'll see <laughs> i don't want to poop on, i don't want to poop on your parade man but there no one's out in the woods yet all you've gotten are words from people and words are the easiest thing to give because they don't mean much they are but you know they, they are you know
2: they are uh, repeat offenders they have come time and time again so
0: um yeah everybody's pretty excited about this to say the least Oh, yeah. Who wouldn't want to be out there for two months doing that? Well, perhaps after the expedition, you'd be willing to come back on Bigfoot and Beyond with Bobo and I to, um, to share the results of the expedition with us. Oh, I'd love to. Absolutely. 100%. And we can look forward to some sort of documentation like a DVD or some sort of streaming thing or a YouTube page or something. I'm just going to be running it all on a YouTube page,
2: um, which, again, will be easy to find. What
0: is it? Do you have a YouTube page now? I do. It's called Monkey Hunting Productions. Okay. And, um, and, and, where can people go if they want to help you with your project and donate some money, even a dollar or two, I'm sure would help. Um, so where can people go if they want to participate? Yeah. If I could just get 16,000 people to each donate five bucks, we're laughing.
2: What do our listeners need to do to help you? It, they can find it on GoFundMe and the project is titled Living with Sasquatch.
0: Well, all right, there you go, folks. So yeah, help Jason and his crew out with this uh, project and hopefully we'll get him back on. And you know, it's through effort that anything happens. Yeah, most... Bigfoot witnesses are accidental witnesses, but that's not to say that effort can't help. You know what I mean? Like Roger Patterson was doing his best to film footprints in the ground and he got a film of the creature instead. So like it's through effort like this. And you know, there, there's a stigma in Bigfoot, in my opinion, um, especially amongst researchers who have been it for a while. They kind of think that if you're trying and you get something, that's a sign of you hoaxing. Which I think is absolutely preposterous. Um, that's people threw that against Roger and Bob when they got the films. Like, oh, well, they were out there trying to film a documentary, don't you think that Bob? Like, they they hoaxed it. No, I think they got lucky basically. And you know, um, and they were prepared, and they there was a two week expedition, and they did the best they could with it, and they got lucky, and were prepared, and that's exactly what Jason is setting up here. But uh, for a longer period of time in a place that seems to be rich with history, with pretty frequent sightings and activity. So, what better place than up in British Columbia at a place like this with seasoned Bigfoot investigators with some of the best equipment around and the dedication? Um, this is a good situation that actually might turn something up. So I would like to encourage any of our listeners who are enthused about this, that maybe you want to try something similar. Why not kick in five or 10 bucks, 20 bucks? Why not? A hundred bucks. If you have it, you know, money's tight. I get that. But you know, what, what's a dollar to you? Um, how about uh, buy them a beer? In other words, give them a $5 bill why not do that sort of thing? Because they just might get something. So uh, we should encourage each other and in- encourage good research and encourage long-term efforts like this one. So that's my spiel for you there. I think that this has a shot. Why not? And, um, and if, as long as you share the results so everybody can enjoy them afterwards, I don't see any harm whatsoever throwing five bucks your way. And with that, I guess we can close down this portion of the podcast and let you go, Jason fantastic well thank you so much gentlemen for having me and uh to all your wonderful listeners out there well all right jason thanks so much for coming on the show with us we sure appreciate it great thank you too gentlemen it's been a pleasure all right take it easy have a good good
2: luck you too fellas bye-bye
1: all right cliff i hope those guys up in bc get something this summer they're in a great spot yeah, I hope so, too. And
0: 60 days in British Columbia sounds like a just a fantastic trip. So, yeah, I'm a little envious in a way. I'm but at the same time, right. I'm, I can just I can just sit on my laurels and hear about what they get later. So that's kind of right. cool, too.
1: Right. All right. Have a good one, Cliff.
0: All right, Bobes. Hey, and uh, do me a favor, Bobes. Keep it squatchy.
1: Wiser words that never come out of your
0: mouth, Cliff. <laughs> well, I'm a wise guy, or so I've been told. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll
1: see you next week, people. Keep it squatchy. You already said it. Yeah, but you didn't. Well, I was letting you have it this time. No, I can't take it. It's yours. Keep it
0: squatchy. There you go. Lovely. Now I can sleep at night. Thank you. All right. Later. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond.